So we're in chapter 10, and um, as you look at the outline um, of the confession itself, I don't know if there's an outline actually here, um, but if you look at the, uh, at the outline, the chapters, in other words, as they follow one after the other, uh, you see that um, what the confession at this point is beginning is a discussion of what we call um, the order of salvation, or in Latin, the ordo salutis, means the order of salvation. Um, it came to be a need in the, reform, in the Reformed world to, as I said in the first sermon, to answer questions that came from the Catholic side as well as the Orthodox Lutheran side um, to uh, further specify, make clear, make more precise what we actually believe about the saving grace of God, the doctrines of saving grace. And, um, and so this, this matter of the order of salvation became a rather helpful tool, I would think. Um, you've all heard of the golden chain uh, from the book of Romans, in which uh, the Apostle Paul gives uh, several uh, chain links that together make up the order of salvation. Um, and so, uh, where does it all start with? Well, in the discussion of the order of salvation, uh, it starts with the effectual calling. Uh, some of us might say, yeah, that's, that sounds okay, but it really starts with God's election, and that is true. But what the order of salvation is about, it is about the application of what Christ has accomplished as our Redeemer, and as our Savior on the cross and by His resurrection. So that work of redemption done by Him alone on our behalf and in our place is being applied to those for whom He gave His life. And so how do you become reconciled with God? How are you saved? Well, it starts with God's effectual calling. So I put an outline for your convenience in this um, bulletin for today. And I have uh, combined a few things. Uh, and the first one is calling and regeneration. Um, if you want some Bible passages and you're, you're, you're taking notes, I would place John 3, verses 3 through 8 behind that first caption. Let's just do this, uh, uh, this right off the bat. Then when you go down to number 2, First uh, Peter one twenty three and James one eighteen on justification and adoption um, Romans five features prominently one through ten and uh, for the adoption part eight fifteen and then sanctification is uh, to be uh, found in many parts, but uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 and then Perseverance, 1 John 2.19 and finally Glorification, 1 Corinthians 15.12 through 14 and Romans 8 once again, 23 through 25. Um, what we also need to uh, remember uh, when we look at the order of salvation is that um, 
it is a logical sequence. Uh, so it's not uh, necessarily a chronological sequence uh, because um, you know, when it comes to things like hearing the gospel as a sinner and regeneration and faith, you know, when and where does that happen exactly, um, you know, that becomes a little fuzzy. But from a logical point of view, it makes sense to say that God comes with his calling and it is a general gospel calling. Um, the, go the, the, the general call to all the world, that's why we go out into the world, it narrows down to, the, to the, um, the effectual call by which God draws his own to himself. Um, and so we read about that, of course, uh, in um, the chapter 10. But as you noticed, uh, it goes in uh, fair, uh, quite a bit of detail that justifies, I think, for me to mention all these other things as well because it talks about basically regeneration and, uh, and other things that are part of that order of salvation. Um, and so we have, first of all, the calling um, that is uh, broad and narrow, narrow in terms of the elect. Um, and uh, it is only by way of hearing the gospel um, that a person can become regenerate. Uh, and we have to insist on that uh, in, in today's world. There are not, as it said in the, in the passage as well, you know, there are not other ways as well. Uh, there's certainly not other ways um, in terms of uh, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and that there would be other ways apart from Jesus Christ. But uh, the New Testament is very clear that the preaching of God's word, the proclamation of the good news message is the primary way by which God draws uh, men and women uh, and families to himself. Uh, when that gospel comes, when the Holy Spirit works in your heart, that work of regeneration, uh, because we have sinners' hearts that, biblically speaking, are not just sick and have malady, but we are dead, right? According to the Apostle Paul, we are dead in our sin and trespasses. We cannot uh, regenerate ourselves. Our family, friends, loved ones cannot regenerate us you know, push us and, and pro probe us to get up, uh, spiritually speaking. Uh, we are lying dead in our sin and trespasses, and only by the supernatural imposition of the Holy Spirit can uh, uh, the mind and the heart uh, be renewed, uh, as we call it, regenerated. Uh, we say sometimes we are given a new heart um, that uh, speaks uh, to God's sovereign uh, agency, in the work of saving sinners and the application of the Lord Jesus' work uh, in that way uh, that leads to faith and conversion. So faith and conversion. Faith is the response to the gospel by which the sinner repents uh, and is converted away from sin, away from the old and onto the new. And when that takes place, when we savingly trust in the promises of God, in the person of Christ himself in particular, and the work that he did on our behalf, uh, that leads to our justification, right? So we are justified in God's sight, uh, not because of anything we have done, but because of what he has done on our behalf, the Lord Jesus Christ. So justification is a forensic term. It's a judicial term. Uh, it, it means that God... The judge is declaring something about you and me. 
God is not uh, having an expression of his sentiment or feelings about us, uh, but God is always just. Um, he is loving in all kinds of other things uh, in his attributes. But when it comes to the brokenness of this world and the enmity that exists between humanity and the God who made us, uh, we need to be reconciled with God. The bridge, the, the, the gap can only be bridged uh, through the sinner's trust in the one who stood in the gap, um, the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if you remember that kind of uh, drawing, some, some, some magazine or whatever, um, but uh, it would probably go something like this. Um, uh, here is the God with whom we had fellowship, man or Adam. And uh, this is sin. And God cannot have anything to do with us, of course, because of our sin. He cannot. Uh, those who are described in the book of Revelation who are before the throne of God, uh, they are the righteous. They are the ones dressed in white. They are covered. Um, but what has God provided as the solution to our sin problem? Uh, it is the one who walked over. Uh, now you can put errors in both ways, but... Uh, in terms of uh, what God has done, he has um, said, Adam, where are you? Right? That is the first gospel call that God graciously uh, called man into his presence when he said to Adam and Eve, where are you? And so that is the beginning of the long story of salvation in the Bible where God becomes man and through the man, Jesus Christ, at the same time, God, God and man, uh, God has provided uh, uh, salvation for us. Uh, and through faith in the Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, the sinner is justified. But what is more, um, he is uh, justified and uh, adopted. And I don't know about you, but when I think back of, uh, of teaching in my churches, which were very Reformed, very Orthodox, very confessional, uh, I seldom heard about what we call the doctrine of sonship. Uh, and just the fact that when you look at chapter 12 in the Westminster Confession, uh, notice how fairly brief that, uh, that discussion is. It's just one paragraph. Uh, you compare it with the effectual calling here. You compare it with uh, repentance unto life or good works. You know, these sort of very prominent uh, topics of discussion in the time of the Reformation vis-a-vis -vis the Arminian uh, controversy. Uh, you can just see that those were the things that caught everybody's attention and felt that they had to say the most about that. But, um, you know, maybe they could have said a little bit more about adoption because, after all, that is what we on this side of heaven experience, that we rejoice in. We have been made the men and women of God. We are sons and daughters of the living God. And he has not only justified us legally, as if he is the judge speaking to us and say, you are forgiven, but he is my father, and I'm his son, and you're his daughter. And uh, so um, had that been written uh, a few centuries later, maybe they would have devoted a little more attention to this important biblical doctrine of um, But that goes together with justification. Um, I've, you know, I've got my books. Jason has his books, and others of you have theological books. Uh, I've noticed that in the history of Reformed theology, 
not all the dogmatic uh, systematic course uh, books um, you know use the same uh, order exactly um, but um, in the one that one of those that I uh, read uh, in pr preparing for this uh, teaching time is that uh, adoption was subsumed under justification. Uh, but again, that subsuming under uh, uh, makes the same point, right? Uh, we have focused on our justification so much that we have perhaps sometimes lost sight of the ancillary parts. So they're not disjointed from justification. They are they are organically part of justification, uh, such as our sonship, our, our belonging as sons and daughters for Jesus Christ through the Father. Then we have, uh, following that, um, in the order of the chain, the order of salvation, our sanctification. Um, sanctification, uh, as I mentioned uh, earlier today, uh, for the early reformers uh, was uh, attached to justification. So to say, you could almost say, um, you know, if, if a person was justified, he was sanctified. Um, and I think later scholars, uh, theologians have picked up again on that original uh, keeping together of these two when you think of a person of John Murray. Um, I don't know what your personal opinions about are about John Murray. Uh, some of our um, Reformed brothers and uh, sisters in our uh, communities, uh, you know, uh, it seems to me like no matter who I mention, uh, <laughs> or people always have something negative to say about this one or that one. They're not, you know, like the Apostle Paul. Um, you know, let's uh, just uh, realize that uh, we are uh, flesh. Uh, we are very fallible. And there will be uh, just that reality that uh, all of these people that are featured prominently in uh, Ligonier Ministries and what have you out there, uh, they're all uh, fallible. Uh, but let's just rejoice for crying out loud uh, that we have men and women, uh, mostly men, uh, who are uh, followers of Jesus and very faithful to God's word in following him and also in their teachings. And there can be differences, right, um, in, 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 uh, as long as we don't violate God's word and its teaching uh, per se. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so sanctification uh, belongs to justification because uh, Murray, that's coming back to him, he had that very helpful distinction between definitive sanctification and progressive sanctification. So when you think about definitive sanctification, I'm thinking about what I've just said. We are in Christ definitively sanctified. When Jesus... Uh, Righteousness and obedience is imputed upon us. It is declared upon us. Simpler word, given to us. Uh, like, the, like Luther said, that happy exchange. Christ took my sins um, and Christ gave his perfection to me. And so from a faith perspective, we are perfect in Christ. We are righteous in Christ. There's no deficiency there. There's no Jesus giving 90% of his obedience and, and, and righteousness, and then we do the 10 part ourselves, or we have to wait for that 10% in heaven. We are, as God sees you, perfect in Christ. We stand with white ropes right now before the throne. Um, but there is that matter of progressive sanctification, and that is, of course, what Paul also talks about, I believe in Romans 7 in particular, 
but it is also that all the, the paranetic, we call them, paranetic passages in the New Testament, those, those passages that instruct the believer to follow Jesus, in simple words, to, to be obedient to the call of the gospel, uh, that is a process that will not be finished until we are in glory. So uh, sanctification logically follows the other ones that pri are prior to it, but then following sanctification and also part and parcel of that process of sanctification is how God causes us to persevere in our faith because the end station is glorification. Um, what a beautiful thing to be a Reformed Christian <laughs> uh, that I don't have to worry about losing my salvation. Uh, if I'm a true child of God, I will not presume upon that grace. I will not take it for granted. I mean, I may incidentally and occasionally, and I should repent of it, but in terms of my faith stands, I say that I am safe in Christ. I'm secure in Christ because he's done it. He's the finisher. He's the author and the finisher of my faith. And so when I place my trust in Christ, uh, I am secure. I am safe. But in the experience of it, I'm called to persevere. Because that's what Christians do. They take up their crosses, they follow Jesus, and they fight the devil. They fight themselves, and they fight the world with its appeal and pleasures. And so perseverance is needed. And uh, I'm thinking about our opportunities to be exposed to uh, fellow brothers and sisters who come to worship here, who in this moment in time are struggling they're struggling with alcohol. They're struggling with meth. They're struggling with other things. They're Christians. But they are struggling with an enemy that is so powerful that it brings them down. Whether often or not, but you, you, I just uh, feel for them. Because it just seems like there is almost a deliverance needed to be finally free at last to follow Jesus consistently, um, productively. Uh, but think of your brothers and sisters who, on the evidence of their talk, confess that they are your brothers and sisters, that we pray for them and think of them and where we can reach out to them and assist them and come alongside them in that same process that we are experiencing, that we are called to persevere in our walk with the Lord. And then finally, of course, glorification. Uh, that's the summit. Uh, that's the climactic moment where we stand in glory before the Lord. And again, it is he who glorifies us. We will be glorified uh, because in God's time, uh, he will bring us into his presence before Jesus returns or at the day of Jesus' return, we'll be glorified and we'll be glorified forever. We'll be in a state of glory, a state of perfection, uh, so that we are no longer hindered by sin and weakness of the flesh that we are uh, bothered by uh, now in this world. So, yes, um, effectual calling. Uh, the gospel proclamation is good news, and God calls who are his own, and it is a broad sense, yes, he is effectually calling his own.
because he has his own everywhere. He has his sheep. Um, I, I was struck by that. Uh, several passages um, uh, that came to mind as I prepared, for example, 1 Corinthians 18, 10. Uh, God says to Paul, referring to the city of Corinth, I have many people in this city. Jesus said in John chapter 10, other sheep I have, them also must I bring, and they will hear my voice. So God is sovereign in salvation, and he brings the means of the gospel preached and proclaimed and lived out, I would add to that uh, as well, you could say, uh, but through the means of the gospel, God brings his elect because he has them. He claims them as his own by the, uh, by the love of God uh, to choose uh, his own, which is a love that is inscrutable. It is a love we don't understand, but we graciously and gratefully accept it with thankfulness. Well, amen. Shall we pray? Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for the order of salvation. And Lord, we as humans, we try to comprehend things that uh, are spiritual matters. Um, and they're only uh, able for us to understand to the extent in which you reveal it to us in your word. Uh, and it is certainly sufficient. But we never say that we stop seeing as um, um, in a mirror that is not exactly perspicuous. Um, Lord, we, we, uh, we, we are on this side of heaven uh, walking by the clarity of your word, uh, but we do not have full understanding of the things we open and uh, frankly confess uh, to be true and saving matters. Heavenly Father, will you apply these things to our hearts and our lives this week? And we ask this too in Jesus' name. Amen.